Hi, I'm the gay version of Hadnan Kadir. Hadnan is queer. Galen. And I am the maiden spear, Eric. And welcome to Loyal's Book Club. I appreciate that rhyme. And welcome to Loyal's Book Club, a podcast dedicated to dissecting and discussing Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. We are now Linda Cardellini free. She is she who shall not be named because she distracted us too much. We are free of the curse. We are free of the curse. And uh, Linda Cardellini. Eric, you promise we pro- that's the new name of our podcast. That's the name of the that's the title of this episode. Uh, Linda Cardellini. No one's going to get it outside of like if you were here. But you know what? That's the perks you get when you join us for the live recordings on Discord, guys. So join our Discord. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and we might make that one of our tiers on Patreon. But that's not important right now. What's important is two things. We finally got a a year announcement for the Wheel of Time TV show. Uh, The tweeter of Chaos tweeted a video showing the title card essentially for the Wheel of Time TV show and announced that it was going to be premiering in 2021. So very exciting about uh, the Wheel of Time TV show. And I think it's good to dive into these next few chapters. A lot of good stuff happens. Um, we're very much near the end of The Shadow Rising. We I feel like we've been barreling through this book. Yeah, no, we've, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. We've, we've kind of found the our, our flow and kind of found our stride a little bit. And uh, yeah, we're almost done with the book, which is kind of incredible because my impression overall so far has been that um, not that this isn't more boring than the others by any means, but there's not, there's not a ton of action sequences or set yeah. pieces happening. This is a much more of a, a more quiet character driven book this time around. I fully agree. It's very much, you know the world, you know the characters, now let's build on it some more. And I think, you know, you talked about one of your kind of big complaints is we were getting a sort of format of characters do this, they go here and this. And we kind of still have this, but I feel like now there's stakes hidden into this that affect the world more at large you know yeah we've gotten away from the hunt of the MacGuffin. you know there's not a relic or an item that's being hunted for anymore it very much is just about the prophecies that we've been reading about starting to come true and yeah. kind of the you know the aftermath of, of what that all means and kind of setting up the stage for what it will mean in a few books yeah and i mean we got that with uh the he who comes with the dawn chapter in the last episode i mean between getting the information about Rand's parentage and also, again, seeing how Robert Jordan deconstructs the sort of myth of the Chosen One, and we get this sort of addition of Rand is the doom and the salvation of the Aiel. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine what pressure that's putting on him. Like, I could not imagine meeting a people for only... A couple, because Rand's probably only known the Aiel, been around these Aiel for two weeks, really. And to know that after, like, such a short amount of time, you've not only turned their customs on their head, you're going to destroy most of them, you know? And you even predicted uh, 
there might not be a lot of Aiel left before the uh, last battle. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a grim prediction, I know, but I just I think we're being set up for you know a a meteor like uh, thing to happen. So I'm just you know the the cannons are getting loaded. They uh, are, and and I really think that Robert Jordan isn't afraid to you know make some sacrifices and really put in some some life stakes here. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm just also curious because we are are so close to the end. So we have the Black Aja plotline, we have the Two Rivers plotline, and we have the Aiel plotline. Do you want to make a blind guess as to how those three plot arcs will not wrap up entirely, but how you think if they'll get resolved in this book, or what do you think? Will there be a big ha moment, you know? Right. You know, I think... It's funny because uh, you're exactly right before the the format, the the formula is being broken in this book a little bit. And my prediction and my hope is that it stays that way. I would love these three plot lines to stay isolated and to develop even more in the next book. Uh, that being said, I think there's a huge trend with, you know, Rand doing something and then we kind of get the viewpoint of that moment happening. I do think something like that is going to happen. You know, something will be observed from the two rivers or in Tanchico or something, but I'm kind of hoping that these, all of our players stay scattered to the winds for a little bit longer. Yeah. You like that kind of distance because you do get that. You get to see another world. You get where this chapter, we get to see Terabon, which is a city we've in Tanchico, which, you know, we've been getting hints of and Mm -hmm. sort of, this big thing is here that'll hurt Rand, but we don't. Yeah, we, we can explore a lot more with these yeah. isolated storylines. And not only that, when our characters do, you know, inevitably come back together, I think they're going to be changed people even more than they have in this series. You know, this, yeah. this gives them so much room to grow as individuals than as a group dynamic. I agree. The party has to be split up sometimes, and it's okay that they are. Yep, it's it's not it's not D and D. Split up the party every time. I'm in favor of it. No, I fully agree. I'm here for that. But let's uh, dive into this. So we're going to start with chapter thirty six, misdirections. So uh, we haven't mentioned this a lot in our time on the podcast, but I feel like we should maybe start mentioning it because it'll give you as the first time reader kind of a clue with what's going to happen in the chapter. Um, And it's important with the uh, chapter headings. So, you know, if you see the spear and buckler, you know, that's going to be having to do with the Aiel, anything with the Aes Sedai, That'll be the Aes Sedai symbol. That'll be Egwene or Moraine or any real Aes Sedai. Dice, of course, will be Matt. Wolf will be Perrin. This chapter, interestingly, starts off with the crescent moon with five stars, which is notably the symbol of Lanfear. And so, how do you, like, knowing that this going to this chapter, knowing that this, uh, uh, that it's the symbol of Lanfear, does that strike you as worrying, like she's now among the Aiel, or do you feel it's she's more on the exterior of it all? 
Like we're maybe right. seeing her XBs in the field, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, I definitely agree with that. I think uh, the first couple of books, it was kind of lost on me until there were more of the world and, and context clues to place those headings under and stuff. Um, and this is, you can confirm, this is Lanfear's heading, not not just the Forsaken at large. This is Yeah, this is uh, our specifically Lanfear. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, I don't think she's in the thick of it, you know? I don't think she's in the center or the middle of everything. I think she's pulling strings. I think she's kind of working the outside. But I also think that, you know, the the plot and the plan is is thickening if you can, you know, attach yourself to some of those crumbs that were being yeah. dropped. Because really the last time we saw Landfear, she was in tear with Rand, and she had fed him this idea of, capturing a male forsaken to teach him to channel which you and i both kind of saw through his bullshit like because she was like oh and we're gonna do it together i'm like no 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 (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna kill rand and so i'm wondering because rand seemed to mull over the idea of bonding of male forsaken but he really didn't take the steps to do it and so you know i'm wondering if Maybe he went to Ruidian thinking he'd find a male forsaken. And I think he did in Hadnan Kadir because as the Aiel are traveling uh, to Cold Rock's hold on their way to uh, Alcair Dahl, the Golden Bowl to meet with the clan chiefs, uh, we get a little bit of Rand and Avienda's interaction. And Avienda makes... Uh, the winter seemed like a summer to Rand because she's very much reminding him of Elaine at any opportunity. And it is funny to see this sort of as tough as Rand is, he also is kind of baby, you know? Like, we we still get those. We get those gradients of like, these are still young men, you know, these are still kind of like, they're not necessarily in their boyhood, but they still got their boyish uh, (laughs) uh, stuff about them, you know? Yeah, and especially when it comes to women, because the running joke had always been one boy thinking, I wish Blank was here, he's better at women than I am. And it's this great moment of Avienda just going, do you know how beautiful Elaine is? her hips, her lips, her eyes. And like Rand is just getting redder and redder in the face. Cause she's like, have you seen Avienda in the bath? I can describe her. And he's like, please do not. Like, it's so funny to see this Rand who has to accept that he has to lead a group of people, the same people he will destroy, suddenly resort back to that blushing farm boy. It's this nice moment of humanity almost. Yeah. No, he might be the Dragon Reborn, but he still is a man. <laughs> yeah, very much a fool of a man, but a man nonetheless. So we switch on over to Matt's POV, and this is where I start to think a for- male Forsaken has come into play. Because uh, Deidre, an Aiel scout, reports that there's wagons. And so the party stops, and... Kuladin and Ruar go to greet this caravan of wagons and out steps this dude, Hadnan Kadir, who, you know, has already got off on the wrong foot because 
Ruark says, you're supposed to have a guide and you're one to two days out of the uh, sort of our holy spot, Ruidian. And it's, and Haddon's like, oh, sorry about that. I didn't even realize. And that, I don't know, it's suspicious. It's like, how, what a nice coincidence that you just so happened to run into Rand's party as they were leaving Ruidian. That seems a little too coincidental. And Robert Jordan does not play coincidental for no reason, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, the coincidences, I, I don't chalk up to coincidences anymore. And also what I've learned through the series is things happen very fast, very immediately. So with the chapter heading itself, this group that they run into immediately set off the alarm bells in my head. Yeah, it it did not... It doesn't play well. And so we meet Haddon and Kadir, but then we also meet his sort of business partner. And this was this name was given to me in our first take, and I refuse to accept that this is it, but her name is Kylie Shoga. And... I, I still can't believe it. It's too um, modern sounding, you know, in a fantasy setting like Rand Elthor, Egwene Alvir, Moraine Damodred, Kylie, you know, it's too... I keep thinking we're going to get like a cutaway of going, I love Kylie's dress. I think what she's doing is just great. It's very unique. It's very fun. But we get our... Uh, we get a sort of uh, fulfillment of one of Perrin's wolf dreams. Um, in, in the last episode, he had a wolf dream of Matt at a forked point, and he suddenly gets a wide-brimmed hat, and Matt acquires this wide-brimmed hat in this chapter from Haddon and Kadir, which was like a fun little like, oh, okay. And so we've kind of reached peak Matt Coffin, um, if you go to Google any fan art of Matt, which obviously don't do that because there's still some massive spoilers coming out, you know, the kind of full set of Matt is the wide-brimmed hat, the scarf around his neck to hide the scarf from the rope, the fox head medallion, the green coat, and his Ashandari, which is the spear. So he's all coming together. He's our little, uh, our idiot nephews uh, putting the pieces together, you know? He is, you know, he was, he was, I imagined he was always kind of boyishly cute and maybe like boyishly handsome, but at this point he's, he's officially serving looks like hot from the oven, <laughs> serving them to every table in the restaurant. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cause yeah, you're right. I, I did look around and it is, it's, it's the look and it's as far as fantasy uh, description and, you know, physical detailing and stuff goes, this is just such a fucking cool look in my opinion. Hey, that should be your cosplay for 2022 uh, Jordan Con. Hell yeah. That would be that would be awesome. You could rock the mat look. I think I could. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 2022, you heard it here. So the main plan is that uh, Ruark with the peddlers, he says, you can travel with me. I'm a clan chief. This is custom. And they plan on stopping at Emory Stand for the night, which is the land of the Tardad Aiel. So they begin to make their way, and the chapter ends with Rand speaking to Matt about how Hadman's eyes didn't change, and he announces to Matt that they now ride with evil. And so that's where I kind of go, okay, there is 
someone there is a forsaken here you know whether it is Hadnan, whether it's kylie whether it's the gleeman that matt points out but there is something not right according to rain and i think he's starting to be able to trust his own gut a bit you know yeah well and he gets that he gets that badass line like we now ride with evil is just such a just such a like basic but like foundationally good line for our for our hero to say that's just like oh Rand the farmer would never say that but Rand our dragon reborn that just fits like a glove yeah and it's also a great line because now as the reader we're kind of now left with well who is it who's the evil you know is it Rand is he fearing him his own self of the paranoia and the madness is it Hadnan Kadir is it Kuladin is it anyone you know like so we're kind of left with that question and so we're gonna continue on to chapter 37 which is Imri's stand um so the gang the crew stops for the night and the Shido are a little bit away because this isn't their land and tensions with the Shido and the Jindo are already, it's not looking good. Like it's not an ideal situation right now because I think everyone's kind of looking at Kooladin and the Shido at like a very angry cat, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't know what he's going to do and you don't know how long the peace of Ruidian will hold, you know, right now they're kind of spaced out, you know, the Jindo are with the Jindo with the wise ones separating the two, Seps, but it's like who knows when they will give this up you know and so it's a little worrying it's a little worrying and it gets a little more worrying when they reach uh emory stand and they discover that it's empty and there's only goats and it's not made any better by the fact that they find evidence of a trollic raid where you know there's just gore and viscera and Rand voices this, and Aviana kind of shuts him down and goes, yeah, Trollocs don't come this far down from the Blight. But I think it's this thing of, dude, this is the Karakarn. Like, shit's changing up a little bit around here, Aviana. You gotta kind of, you gotta kind of go with the flow. and <laughs> Which has kind of been Avienda's, um, what's the word? She's kind of very stiff you know right stuff like stubborn and set in her ways yeah yeah. especially because she has to kind of serve as brand's mentor a little bit like yeah well it's it's a great you know contrasting device just a little bit because from the start we you know we kind of get thrown in here and the world is changing it's it's continuously changing we've been dropped as the audience kind of in this time it's not like a a peacetime that is all of a sudden broken people start you know, there are rumors and whisperings about weird shit going on. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I don't remember from this group of readings was, does he describe how, how recent that Trolloc raid was? Like, can they um, tell that it was pretty recent or something? Let me actually find it. Um, but going to your point, I think it's also really cool that we kind of get someone that doesn't immediately take to Rand. Because I yeah. feel like um, Min and uh, Elaine were very much like, uh, hey, dude, what's up? Like, we're good. And 
Alvienda has very much met him with resistance. Mm-hmm. And I it's perfectly understandable. I mean, I think the Aiel are very much untrusting of outlanders, and I think there's a lot of toe and a lot of duty connected with Avienda and her relationship with the brand. I think yeah. there is a lot unsaid there. So I am looking it up right now. Um, so what we get is the Trolloc attack is not recent. Uh, he mentions it being kind of old. So gotcha. it had to have happened a little bit. Like it had to have been maybe a couple days prior, you know? Okay. Still recent enough for, for me to feel uh, a little jumpy about it. Yeah. But, uh, and especially because there, there is a bit of specificity there with the... I don't remember what book it was, but I know they, you know, we get a little details about the Trollocs, how they're not free thinking, you know, they need to be led by a, by a fade and stuff. And uh, we've seen them use the way uh, to get places. And yeah. I believe there's, there's some type of other way that they are transported or something, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they aren't evolving in some way, you know? Yeah. And it's especially concerning because we have heard what Trollocs do to their cat prey. They eat them sometimes alive or boil them alive. So it's, it's also scary because it's like, these are Aiel. These are the most feared race of warriors. And to see an entire, I guess, village decimated by the Trollocs is worrying, you know? Mm-hmm. But our mind is taken from that because Haddon Kadir opens shop and we kind of get a little bit more of IO custom. They sort of barter. There's not really coin there um, to for them to sell. It's more like, hey, I'll give you this, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, the point of view switches to Matt and it's not really looking great for the Haddon Kadir party because they all seem very, very suspicious. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but with uh, Jason Nettel, who is the gleeman that Matt saw, he comes up to Matt, who's just chilling, and he begins asking Matt a lot of specific questions. And it goes, it's under the guise of, well, I'm a gleeman, I like to tell stories. But it very much gets very uh, more detailed when Matt starts talking about Gruidian and his travels there and what he saw there. And again, I don't know if I trust Jason. I think there's... No, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't trust any of them. No. And... <laughs> That is fair because Kylie comes up and he essentially she essentially tells Jason like you gotta go like we're we need to talk and so I'm wondering if they're a pair of dark friends who are reporting to Landfear or to another Forsaken I mean I'm going with Landfear because she was specified but I don't know there has to be she's connected to this somehow. How, I'm not super sure, but I don't know. Isandre, the woman brought out, seems very Lanfear-esque, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, a couple of uh, couple of descriptors that 
make a pretty big middle for that Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm wondering if you think, do you think that's uh land fear in disguise? Yeah. Or- yeah, I do. Is Sandre? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, for the most part, you know, when we first met her, she does a ton more behind the scenes, more illusionary stuff. You know, she's in the, that mirror world the first time we meet her and stuff, but yeah, she's been bolder now, even with Rand and tear, you know, and appearing to them and whether that's a, you know, a vision or a physical manifestation, uh, she very much is, is becoming emboldened for some reason. And yeah. I don't know if it's because of what she's got going on behind the scenes that we're not aware of yet, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to kind of see her front and center just a little bit. I feel like she's getting a little bit more bold because I think she realizes she can talk to Rand now a little bit more freely. And I mm-hmm. feel like he attacked her before in the Stone of Tear when the Trollocs were debating. But she, I think, knows about his moral code of not hurting women. And I yeah. think that kind of puts her out of like a, okay let me see what I can do. But I think she's lying low just enough, you know, I think playing coy. Um, But we do get a little bit more of IO culture on the side from land who trains with Rand to kind of work out his frustration. And again, a little bit more suspicious on Kylie and Jason's side because they watch Rand train with land. And so my running theory is that they're spies for Landfair. They just report back to Asandra. Yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely some type of combination of, you know, dark friends and spies and yeah. Landfair being in the, the middle of that Hadden web. Is the male forsaken, she's bringing, maybe she's kind of being a little bit more bold with Rand and going, I brought you the male forsaken. We Let's do this together. Like maybe she's going to like, kill Kooladin and like mm-hmm. neutralize the threat like because like that's really mm-hmm. like it's a, tr- a trap waiting to spring with Kooladin I feel like there's going to be a situation where Kooladin attacks Asandra kills him and goes hey also guess who I am Lanfear da 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 you know mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that happening. I could also I could also see that sequence kind of happening a bit more on the sly, like maybe not with this big of an audience. I would love it if there was one person in the group that just had no idea that they were surrounded by dark friends and stuff. I would I would love I one of them see just that to be innocent. Kylie, or I could see I could also see that being Hadman or Jason. Yeah, the only I think the only reason I'm I'm hung up and I don't think it's a male forsaken is because one of their identifying traits is that mm. they operate pretty much alone and that they do not trust each other. It, I'd be hard pressed to believe that a forsaken would trust in the plan of another forsaken and, and act as their agent or pawn. No, that is uh, fair that's, because that's my they do seem to work up. alone. I mean, Bilal and Ashamael kind of maybe work together. But I don't think they were really, like, mm-hmm. sitting over coffee discussing their plans in tear. Right. I mean, the, the promise of the Dragon Reborn, though, that, that that could be a big enough reward or, you know, a big enough treasure to go after for sure. But I don't know. I, I, 
I, I would like to think that this is kind of Lane Fear show and she's got a couple of dark friends, but for the most part, the Forsaken are still isolated from each other. Something I do want to talk about, which I think is pretty cool, and it's a development with our little idiot nephew. Matt's memories have been filled, but they've been filled with the memories of old battles and old, uh, peop- uh, old figures of war. And I think that's a really interesting direction to go with Matt for someone who's kind of been on the sidelines to have these memories, you know? Yeah. And, you know, like, I think Rand is kind of the easy pull to be, you know, the the of the battlefield general type and stuff. But yeah. I think it's going to be Matt. I think between... Because our boys all have the old Two Rivers blood in them, for sure. Uh, but between that, the memories in his head, his ability to, you know, warp yeah. luck, I, I could definitely see that being advantageous on the battlefield. And I, I think there's going to be a huge battle that Matt's going to lead. And he's going to tap yeah. into those memories It a almost bit. feels like, almost what, like, random Matt would almost have this parallel arc of fighting against something they're becoming like maybe one of the generals or kings takes starts taking over matt's head and we start seeing two sides of matt that is the boyish like idiot and then this general where he's just like let's do this and it's like where did that come from bud (laughs) yeah i i do think you know again the the stage is being set we've seen the characters kind of you know grow a little bit in this book for sure but it feels like bigger things yes. are being put in place that will be enacted later. And I, I feel like that is very much uh, Matt and his memories and kind of whether they're, you know, a curse or a gift that he believes he got the the last go around with the supernatural forces. I do think they'll come into play pretty, yeah. pretty soon, I too, like I would say. Robert Jordan, uh, like this whole series, he's done the frame of the puzzle and we've been slowly getting more and more mm-hmm. towards the center And I feel like he's been giving us kind of hints of here's where to find the centerpieces. And we're starting to see this series as a whole come together, but some parts of it were still flipping over the puzzle pieces, you know? Yeah. But I do like that idea of a big battle coming soon that Matt will kind of take charge in. Um, Because he, we do see him in action in this chapter because a little bit later that night, uh, Jason is telling a story around the campfire and internally Matt's going, this isn't how it happened. And we get the first instance of a sort of flashback of Matt living the life of this warrior in his final moments. And we learn kind of, he knows these details of battles hundreds of and thousands of years gone. And so again, I think Matt stayed with Rand for a reason. And I think that reason is to kind of be Rand's right-hand man in battle. Yeah, no, I could I could totally jive with that. I, I think that would be really cool and really fun and a, a kind of a cool way just narratively to keep these yeah. two together. Um, because I, I do, I you know, I know they're all going to go kind of their, their separate ways and have their own separate stuff going, but I really do think these these characters shine when they're together. And we get a little bit about Matt's medallion in this chapter. Um, as he's fighting the Trollocs, we find he his medallion starts glowing, cold, like pulsing cold. And he's noticed that this has the symbol of the Aes Sedai, the, uh, the, the black and white symbol of the Aes Sedai. 
And for a moment, he's really grateful. And so I'm curious about that medallion, about why it's cold, you know, about maybe it's a sensor for, uh, you know, Rand mentioned that he didn't know when women are channeling. And so maybe that is something for Matt to be able to sense. So if Rand's ever in trouble, he could be like, hey. But the chapter ends with, uh, we kind of learned that this attack was specifically targeted for Rand. And not only Rand, but the Wise Ones and the Jindo Sept. And the only people really not affected by this are Hadnan, Kadir, Asandra, Kylie, and Jason. And so it is this more suspicion. Yeah, exactly. Gotta gotta stroke the chin a little bit because it is suspicious of, and Matt notes it of like, why weren't you here? You know, but we go from one suspicious person to another suspicious person as we jump to chapter 38, Hidden Faces. So we go all the way across the map, like, the Ayul Waste is here. We're now going all the way to the west to Terabon and Tanchico. And we are reunited with a Shan Shan woman named uh, Agionin. And this is the second time, second or third time, I believe, we've had a Shan Shan POV character. And so it's really interesting to get into their head. Yeah, totally agree. You know, they, they, they were the kind of the big antagonist in Great Hunt for a second. And it's so easy to make them kind of a, you know, a named but faceless faction. So I think this is just, again, just more brilliance to give them, you know, really fill them out as I a character. Agree. And we get a little bit into what Egyanin's plan is, because she's meeting at this sort of wine bar that's kind of known as the if you want to meet in secret this is where you go so she's meeting a man in uh florin gelb who was the man kicked off of Vale doman's ship in eye of the world after Rand, matt and tom got to white bridge and she even sees Vale doman there who's made no secret that he smuggles but um we learned that Egyanin is on a search for a certain type of woman to that, to the extent of which we don't know. I mean, we find out later, but we find out that there was an incident. Um, a woman was accidentally kidnapped in mistake. And then to avoid any complication, Egyanin was like, we'll send her to the Sean Chan, you know, no, uh, paying her off. Just, Hey, bye. Enjoy being a Damani. No, it's, it's pretty ruthless and it pretty much just sets uh it sets all of that that up it you know they're, they're really not messing around it's you know it's funny like the white cloaks i was kind of more freaked out about just in general like you know religious yeah. extremists i think it's you know very i think it's very timely very current and everything uh but there's something about this group that the, the shan chan that really really kind of gets under my skin in a, yeah. in a real creepy way that like if, if if i if i could just not meet anyone in this book it would probably they'd be like one of the front runners like i definitely wouldn't want to see a trollic or a fade or something but it's it's ruthless man in, in this world it's it's not because forgiving. you also see that they fully believe in what they're doing 
Like there's no hesitation. Yeah. It's this is what we came here to do. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. You can't talk to us about it. You can't try to reason. You're Demani. You broke the world, and we mean to control that. So uh, mm-hmm. it's really scary. And we get a little bit more, Sean Chan, in this uh, chapter. Um, so Egyanen ends her meeting with Florin, and we get to see kind of the state of Tanchico and Terabon. It's rife in poverty, you know, a lot of political upheaval, and not a great place for Elaine and Nynaeve to come in because Egyanen saw Sea Raker ship come in, and so kind of piecing it together that it's Elaine uh, and Nynaeve were just kind of like, ooh. And then Egyanen also saw she was leaving uh, Jacob Carradine, who is a white cloak, and his whole ordeal is um, he is being not only he is a dark friend. But he's also being somewhat blackmailed by a fade who has threatened to kill every single family member of his until Randall Thor is dead. And we learned that Jacob hasn't been doing a good job because in the past five months, he's lost a couple family members in very brutal ways. A cousin was found skinned alive. I believe his sis- one of his sisters was carried away from her wedding feast by a fade. So I don't think Jacob Carradin is a man you would trust really with an important task. I feel like he's real B list, uh, put him behind a desk. You're good, but he's been sent to Terabon and he is meeting with four masked men who want to shift the political balance in Terabon. And so the ultimate plan is to keep, get the King's new lover, as the new Panarch. And it's kind of heavily implied that the old Panarch was assassinated by the king. But it's like a uh, layer on top of a layer because they want the White Cloaks in Terabon to quell any uprisings because the choice to make Amathera, the king's lover, the new Panarch, is not going to be a good one. And already in Eridomon, there's not great shit happening. There's a war with the dragon sworn and those who oppose them. It's just, it's really not looking good. And it's a fantastic way that Robert Jordan sort of allows us to see the white cloaks outside of, we are hunting dark friends. And it's the way they maneuver politically. And it's a little, it's very interesting because we see there's more to them. And yeah. it's also worrying. It's like you said, the white cloaks are really frightening. And especially that fanaticism, that unwavering fanaticism is just scary. Well, that fanaticism coupled with their absolute yes. military organization. Because, uh, you know, a lot of, whether it be, you know, political, religious, whatever, those fringe groups, you know, they're normally small in number and they're very yeah. disorganized. Uh the white cloaks are not <laughs> they are very much large in numbers very much organized uh i'm actually kind of curious and i mean this is, this is not like a prediction or anything it's just something that whenever they keep coming up i always wonder how are they going to factor into that yeah. final battle because their mission is to fight the darkness however you know that that uh with how zealous they are about it you know they 
hurt a lot of good people in, in, yeah. in the way and stuff. Um, so I'm just, I'm curious where those chips are going to fall yeah. every time they pop no, up. No, and it's, it's like, how are they who fight for the light going to go against Aes Sedai who are clearly fighting for the light as well? And Randall Thor and Perrin and Matt. Mm-hmm. It, it's a weird sort of hypocrisy that I'm kind of curious to see how that unfolds. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess I could make a small guess because I think one of the themes is, you know, the views of the old world are yeah. being challenged, you know, in the in the face of, of obstacles and, and new things happening. So I guess it's just dependent on if they can change and adapt their yeah. viewpoint a little bit or if they're going to stay very stringent with yeah. what they believe in. It'll be very interesting to see. And it's a very worrying thing to bring Elaine and Nynaeve into because now we have Sean Chan, White Cloaks, political upheaval in the Black Aja in one city. It's not a great place to go and already it's there's talk of danger and um so jacob leaves this meeting and he goes to the palace that the white cloaks have sort of centered themselves in and as if this couldn't get any worse leandrin is waiting for him and we get the confirmation that he is bores the man who was the point of view at the dark friend social and we also kind of get uh, the confirmation that Leandrin was there at the, the Dark Friend Social as one B.I. Sedai. So he thinks he's being punished for failing to get to his task. And Leandrin goes, no, 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 no. You're my little dog now. And you're going to do as I say. And she says, the White Cloaks are going to insert themselves into the Panarch's palace. And... We don't know what her motive is, but we find out later when, after she tortures Jacob a bit and kills a guard on her way out and then makes her way to where the Black Aja are hidden, um, she berates this servant named uh, Gildan, who kind of just stands there and is just like, "Mm, okay. Like, I think a very interesting person to see how they uh continue on if they appear even more but uh, interesting interaction leandra notes that she this woman gildan is not afraid of her but she meets up with the black aja who are still there and we learn that they suspect whatever can be used to control rand is in the panarch's palace and so again the web is tightening and we're starting to see plot threads coming together. And again, stakes are being raised, you know? Yeah, stakes are being raised, and the the trap is, is starting to wind kind of closer and closer shut on our yeah on, on a lot of people. And so the uh our last POV of the chapter is we go back to Egyanin. Yeah, Egyanin. I need to make sure Eggy, Eggy. Eggy. Well, that's what everyone calls Egwene. They call Eggy Egwene Eggy. So now it's hard. Well, you know what? Let's call Eggie on and Eggie. Eggie 2. So Eggie 2 gets back to her home, and there's someone waiting for her, um, a seeker of the truth, which is a Sean Chan, essentially a Sean Chan cop. And he, we get a little bit of 
knowledge about like rave like they have ravens and tattoo uh and a tower tattooed on them and we get kind of the history of that to a drunk lord and a drunk lady uh tattooed a raven in a tower and on themselves thinking it'd be funny and they were sent to the court of the nine moons to scrub floors and so it's the seekers of the truth are kind of descended from that it's said and it's very ominous. Um, we learn that Aggie 2 is there to find any of the escaped uh, Suldam who escaped from Thal because they suspect that there's some there. And uh, Aggie 2 goes, don't know of any, but here's all my resources. And we kind of get a change in the game a little bit because... We find out Eggy 2 does have a Suldam who has been made Damani because she now has an Adam around her uh, neck. And we learn this uh, Suldam can channel. And it's a really interesting note to leave the Sean Chan on, who so fervent against women who can channel. But this revelation of, oh, there might be women among the Sean Chan who can channel, but it's kind of kept hush-hush, and that's why Eggy 2 is there. It's a very, like, oh, shit. No, it's a great rug pull. And so it's this thing of, are more Sean Chan going to find out about this? And if there's, if they do, is there going to be a big upheaval? Like, with the White Cloaks, you know? Like, where are the Sean Chan going to play in the final battle? you know yeah it would be cool seeing some of them kind of fracture off and almost start like a rebellion or something uh i won't hold out hope for it just because they are as far as the groups go they're about the most irredeemable for me but i could see something like that happening you know small group uh fighting for their survival and again fighting against their old ways and customs i think we're starting to see in a lot of these uh groups a shift in the dynamics of what was, you know, we're seeing that with the Aiel, we're seeing that with mm-hmm. the Rivers, with the Emmons Fielders, with them starting to form their own little army. So it's a really interesting development in this world, and it's really exciting to see how it goes. But we have reached our last chapter of the uh, episode, chapter 39, A Cup of Wine. This is a great chapter. I think it's a very almost somewhat lighthearted chapter versus the past couple that we've been talking about because uh, Elaine, Nynaeve, Tom, and Julian have arrived in uh, Tanchico and they get off the wind finder and by pure coincidence, they run into Bale Doman, who he's kind of like, hey, I'm so sorry about Falm. Shit was getting rough. And, of course, they're like... Um, Elaine's like, that's fine. You did what you had to do. And Nynaeve's like, yeah, thanks for leaving us. And it's this great, like, again, this sort of buddy cop dynamic that's developing between Egwene, uh, between Elaine mm-hmm. and Nynaeve is really fun to see. And it's also real funny to see Bale and Julen just immediately just not like each other because of the Ilian and Tyr rivalry. Um, 
So right. they reach an in uh, because of Bale Dolman, who says, let me find you guys a place to stay. And he takes them to the three plum court. And, you know, Elena and Ineve are horrified by the poverty in Tanchico. And they also learn Bale runs a soup kitchen there. You know, he's kind of a uh, steal from the rich, give to the poor. And there is also a moment where they freak out because the female innkeeper looks a lot like Leandrin, but they're kind of like, oh, thank God, it's not her. Um, so there is a great moment. I do actually want to find it where um, they, Elaine and Nynaeve speak with Bale Doman about uh, finding the Black Aja. They ask for his help and he goes, finally, Doman roused himself. It do be going to happen again, fall all over. Maybe it do be time for me to pack up and go. If I do take the ships I have back to Ilian, I will be a wealthy man there too. I doubt you'll find Ilian congenial, Nynaeve told him in a firm voice. I understand that Samael rules there now, if not openly. You might not enjoy your wealth under one of the Forsaken. Doman's eyes nearly came out of his head, but she went right on. There are no safe places any longer. You can run like a rabbit, but you cannot hide. Is it not better to do what you can to fight back like a man? Nynaeve was being too hard. She always had to bully people. Elaine smiled and leaned over to put a hand on Doman's arm. We do not mean to browbeat you, Master Doman, but we truly may need your help. I know you for a brave man, else you would not have waited for us as long as you did at Falm. We will be most grateful. You do this very well, Doman muttered, one with an ox driver's stick, the other with, a, with the queen's honey. Oh, very well. I will help as I can, but I will no promise to remain for another Falm. So it's great to see again Nynaeve having no people skills versus Elaine having all of the people skills and being able to be like, so we want to be able to do this. So thank you. You know, it's it's very that dynamic of um, Nynaeve would go up and go, hey, he asked for pickles on his burger with six foot like blank land just hiding behind her. Thank you. No, it's definitely a bit of a good cop, bad cop <laughs> routine, but it, it's more like fun cop, bully yeah. cop. <laughs> yeah. And it's, but bully in the sense of, I don't think there's anything real malicious in it. I think, again, Nynaeve is two rivers and she's stuck in her own ways. And I think she's used to kind of browbeating everyone in uh, the two rivers. And I think she quite hasn't grown out of that yet. And, I'm wondering if her hanging out with Elaine will help her out with that. Because, you know, it can't last for yeah. too much longer, you know? She can't be uh, she can't be bullying people for much longer. But who knows? I can imagine her bullying one of the Forsaken. Can you imagine? Like, the Forsaken are about to kill. And she goes like, are you stupid? Oh, yeah. You can't be serious. I would love to. Absolutely. Nine will win the dark, will win the last battle. Because purely bullying the Dark One into submission. Like, it's not a huge spoiler, but that's how the last battle goes. And I named just standing there, going, are you going to be an ox-headed man about this? And the Dark One goes, fine, all right, sorry. Guess I'm done here. So, there you go. We don't need to do this podcast anymore. We know the ending of the series. We, we wrapped yeah. it up. Wrapped it up in one. <laughs> but, but what we need to wrap up is uh, Elaine's lack of experience with drinking because um, the group kind of splits up and Elaine goes, I'm going to watch Tom perform. It's been a while. And 
Elaine is messy when she drinks because this is evidently she's probably had like a cup of wine at a feast day but she is like knocking these back like a soccer mom with a secret like she is just like no i sympathize with her she uh she definitely flies off the handle a little bit and uh it's fun though it's it's fun because she is so composed and so in control all the time. It is it is just fun to see her in this situation, like just to just to see how Elaine yeah. would <laughs> would and, do. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, I do love seeing Elaine. We get to see a different side of Elaine. We also get to see what kind of drunk she is because she goes upstairs and runs into Tom, and she kind of says, "I remember as a kid, I tug on your mustache while I sat on your lap." I remember my mother did the same thing. And Tom's like, and you're going to bed. We're not doing this. And Elaine gets a little too far into it. She says, yeah, my mom loved Gareth Brynn. And now this Gabriel, she says like, essentially my mom's kind of a slut, huh? And Tom slaps her in the face and calls her a child. And it's like, you're being really fucking ridiculous. Don't you dare talk to your mother about your mother like that. And then Elaine starts crying and goes like, why did you leave? It was so fun. And Tom's like, this is going to be another time. And he kind of, she's like, I can get to my room myself. And she does not find a sympathetic ear in Nynaeve. Um, she gets into the room and Nynaeve's like, you're drink, you're drunk. And so it's a great moment because Nynaeve goes, hey, I want to show you something. And leads her to a bucket of water and just dunks her head underwater until Elaine eventually kind of starts sobering up a bit. But it's, again, bully cop, good cop. It's that, like, it's a great moment between them. Because, again, Nynaeve has to go into Teleran Riyadh, and she can't do it by herself. And so, again, maybe not the best method of going about it, because Elaine does sober up a bit. But it is Nine's way of doing things. We don't have to love it, but it's fun, you know. Um, but her dream is strange to say the least. Um, Nine finds herself first in the heart of the stone, and then she goes into the waste and uh, Che and Dar near Ru- Ru- Ruidian, and she sees a man in breeches and a blue jacket making his way towards Ruidian. Do you have a guess as to who that might might, might be? Um, nope. <laughs> Absolutely right. nothing. It is. It's one of those ones where it's like, huh? All right. Neat. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it could be. I think if you had hmm, to throw it. Okay. No, I don't. I got nothing. I, I honest to God, I'm like, this could be somebody we know, somebody that we've uh, been foretold about. This could be a totally new player. It, it is one of those just like, I'm just going to have to read on right. and, and find right. out. But Birgitta appears again. And this is the third time. Like she appeared first with Egwene, then Perrin, and now Nynaeve again. And she warns Nynaeve again and tells her to leave. And Nynaeve finds herself in Emmons Field. And she thinks she sees Birgitta run around a corner. And she follows after Birgitta. And she finds instead a man who kind of looks like Lan, just a little bit. 
and he fires an arrow at her and she wakes up and she wakes up in her in the room with Elaine and she's wounded from the arrow and she's scarred from this encounter with this dude because she's like it looked like Lan but Elaine's like he wouldn't do that and so we have another threat in the game and we haven't really been given a description of Slayer so I'm wondering if she met Slayer if he is able to go into not only the bull train, but Teleranriod because they do seem to be sort of Venn diagram of each other, you know? Yeah, no, they're definitely at least interconnected in some way, maybe not even physically, but it's totally, totally possible that, you know, we have a, a pretty strong player in the game that can manipulate both or, you know, is old enough to know how to, work both of those yeah. different realms and stuff uh if so yeah they're fucked yeah so Teleret, i and it makes me wonder if that's what brigitte is doing if she realizes the importance of the people who can walk in the dreams and realizes the danger of slayer and is trying to go let's but you don't really get enough of brigitte to figure out what her goal is, she talks to Perrin about there's she's breaking some rule, and we don't know what the rule is. We only know she's breaking it by helping them in some way. But yeah. so the chapter ends with uh, the girls go down for breakfast, and Julian comes in. He's a little bit beaten up, but he reveals that he's been kind of doing some down some work and he's found one of the black Aja and has kind of confirmed that they are in Tanchico and Nynaeve reveals then to the men that they're not going to be the only ones doing the dirty work around here. Uh, they plan on disguising themselves as Terraboners to seek out the black Aja. And it ends with Elaine and Nynaeve sort of going, we ha- will now have to find the black Aja and the danger to Rand. And so it's really exciting to kind of see Nynaeve and Elaine taking this sort of, uh, they're not letting themselves hide in danger anymore. Because I think when they were hunting after the Black Aja, especially they're scarred, they have to be scarred from tear with what happened. And I think it's reclaiming the power and taking the reins for themselves so it's going to be really exciting to see yeah yeah but no i know i know i said that we don't necessarily have any large action or set pieces in this book necessarily right now but i do think we're in store for some very actionable sequences coming up very soon and so uh, before we end the episode completely, I actually uh, wanted you to make a prediction. Uh, we are currently in the last day of June of recording this, so you've got a pretty okay. wide margin for this. What month do you think the show is going Ooh. to drop on? Okay. At first I thought you were going to have me make a book prediction. I'm like, Eric, I've finished the series. Like, don't ask. <laughs> do you think they're going to win? the dark one win? Like, Eric, I can't spoil the series for you we're only in the fourth book um so i think we're getting it in the later quarter of the year so okay mark me june 20th 2021 june 30th 2021 we are getting the trailer at jordan con 
which is in two weeks. Um, I think we might get the trailer then um, and to build up hype. But I do think we are going to get the show uh, October or November. I do think it's going to be October or, no- or November because Yosha Sturdowski, who plays Randall Thor, his agency released a little thing that's like, our client Yosha Stradowski is playing Randall Thor in Amazon's new uh, fantasy series, The Wheel of Time, set to be released later this year, October of November or December, or October or November of 2021. So I'm guessing that you and I will be eating our Thanksgiving leftovers and watching Wheel of Time. Yeah. All right. All right. And we'll see if those uh, come that to fruition. We'll already be on book six of Wheel of Time. Because, you know, we'll be done with uh, we'll be done with uh, Shadow Rising in three weeks, I think. Wow. Yeah, yeah so we're flipping along. We are really getting through with it, and you know, if we stick to the schedule, we'll be done with the entire series by twenty twenty four. So, but who knows? We're going real fast. So, we want to thank you all for joining us this week, and I also, before we want to end this episode, ask. Hey, Eric, who gets a gold star for the week? Ooh, yeah. Okay, um, gold star is going to go to... It's going to go to Rand for that All badass right. line. We ride with you. Like, for, for some reason, it just sticks with me. That's like... You would, you would see that exchange happen between him and Matt and me towards the back just a little bit of like... <laughs> Given a bit right, of an approving nod. Rafe, like, we need damn, Eric Danes cast as cool. an Aielman specifically for that scene. He needs <laughs> sunglasses in the CS- CSI Miami that looks like we're riding with evil. Yeah! Uh, and then the color change is going to Elaine. Okay. Elaine, you, 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 got, you got into some trouble. You got into a little too much alky. Uh, you can't be doing that. You got a mission. You got you got the Black Aja that you got to go chasing. It's hey, Hot Girl Summer in Tanchico can wait until the Black Aja are caught. That is fair, because if she wants to go tanning in Tanchico, she's got to control her liquor. But yep, we'll see if she does eventually learn to control her liquor. But that's for another time. We want to thank you all for joining us this week. If you are listening to this edited and beautifully edited, why don't you join us on our Discord? We got a link in our uh, bio. You want to hear the Linda Campanelli uh, fandom rise? You want to hear our obsession with this American actress? You want to hear us raw and uncensored and uh, unfiltered? Come join us. It's super fun. Um, We have a lot of things planned out in the coming weeks. We got a really exciting first for our next episode. I think we can reveal it now, can we, Eric? Oh yeah, go for it. We have our first guest. She is one of the hosts of the Feather and Mountain podcast, The Delusions of Grendel. She will be joining us next week, and that'll be very, very exciting, because next week's episode is going to be very, very intense. Um, If you also aren't following us on our social media, Come on now. What are you doing with your life? And if you also aren't following the official account, Loyal's Book Club on Instagram and Loyal's Book Club on Twitter, hey, rude. So 
why don't you go give us a follow go join our discord server and we will see you next week for more of the shadow rising all right you guys have a good one and we'll see you next week